Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate, and today we will be discussing a rather enlightening subject. Get it? Enlightening? Because this episode's about fireflies? Come on, crickets, you're just jealous because this show's not about you. Anyways, let's call up today's guest and get this episode started. Hi, um, this is Nate. Hi, Nate. How are you? I'm good. So, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Sarah Lewis, and I'm an evolutionary ecologist at Tufts University, which is in Boston, And I also wrote a book about fireflies. It's called Silent Sparks, The Wondrous World of Fireflies. And I love talking about fireflies. So thanks for having me on your show, Nate. You're welcome. So for those of my audience who don't know what a firefly is, what are they? Yeah. So fireflies are insects. Here in the United States, we call them fireflies, but they're not flies. And sometimes we call them, depending on where you're from, lightning bugs, but they're not bugs either. They're actually beetles, which are one of the most diverse groups of insects. And there's a lot of different kinds of fireflies. There's about 2,200 known species of fireflies that live around the world. So there's not just one kind of firefly. Why don't we call them lightning beetles or fire beetles? (laughs) I mean, that sounds so much better than fireflies and lightning bugs, in my opinion. I totally agree. I think we should. Let's start a movement. I think fire beetles is like a perfect way of referring to them. You know, in different languages, there's a lot of different words for them. In parts of Europe, for example, there's only one kind of firefly, and it's a firefly that has females that can't fly, and they look a little bit like um, juveniles, and so they're called glowworms. So in different parts of the world, people call fireflies glowworms. I'm just going to say... This episode is now going to be titled Fire Beetles. Fire Beetles. I love it. Let's do it. Fire Beetles. Fire Beetles. Fire Beetles. Let's start a movement. Fire Beetles. Fire Beetles. Let's do it. Yeah, that's a good title. I like it. Anyways, when I was doing my research for this episode, I heard of this one kind of firefly called, correct me if I'm wrong... Photorus that um, eats the other species of fireflies. Yeah, you have just hit on one of the coolest stories, I think, personally, about firefly evolution. And it stars, as you said, a group of fireflies. Um, There are several different ones that have this peculiar habit. They're called Photorus fireflies. Like most fireflies, once they turn into adults, they don't eat anything at all, right? Right. And they're kind of small. But Pteris, I think of them as Pteris. They're kind of big. They're kind of scary. They have really big eyes. They have really long legs, like the kind of legs that the better to grab you with 
my dear, that kind of legs. And they're really, really fast. And these Futurist fireflies actually are only in North America. So there's nothing like them anywhere else in the world. Oh. And the females of Futurist species have figured out a way to mimic the flash patterns that are used by other fireflies to communicate and to find mates. And so many different species of fireflies use their light several purposes, but one purpose is to signal back and forth between males and females to find each other and to hook up. And so Futurus fireflies have kind of broken into this communication channel and they are able to mimic the signals that females of their intended prey use to find their own mates. By mimicking the females of other species, they're able to lure in the males who are normally flying around looking for mates. And once the male gets close enough, they use their long legs to reach out, grab the male, and then they bite into either its neck or its shoulder. And when they make that bite, the blood of the other firefly comes oozing out. And firefly blood is kind of white. And the predatory female then spends like the next hour basically sucking the blood out of the other firefly. And then they start to kind of bite up all the little pieces and they like bite up the soft parts, they spit out the hard parts, sometimes they leave bits of the eyes, but all of the rest of it, they get into their uh, mandibles and they chew it up and they spit out the hard parts and they consume over, takes a couple of hours, but they consume the entire firefly prey with relish. It's very gory and very interesting to watch. So, why are these Futurist fireflies predatory when so many others are not? Yeah, that's a very, very fascinating question. And people have figured out a lot about this because it's so weird, right? Like, why do these particular fireflies, why are they predatory? And no other fireflies, like anywhere else in the world, have gotten this weird habit. And so, what... Um, what some scientists working at Cornell University discovered is that these Futurist fireflies somehow are lacking. They have like a big hole in their metabolism. A lot of fireflies are toxic. And so they have poisons that circulate in their blood that protect them against most predators. They're called lucibufagens. But for short, we just call them LBGs. So these LBGs are really, really bitter, and they're very, very poisonous. And so with kind of one trial learning, birds will learn not to eat anything that looks like a firefly because they just taste really nasty. Okay, so the scientists at Cornell were interested in figuring out what's going on with this fatuous firefly. And what they discovered is that these fireflies don't have LBGs. 
they just somehow along the way during evolution lost the ability to make these um, particular defensive compounds. And so they are susceptible to getting eaten by birds and lizards and frogs and a lot of other things. So as a way, we think, of getting these toxins, they basically steal them by sucking the blood of their prey and chewing it up so carefully so that they can get access to the toxins that they themselves can't make. And then they hijack them, they sequester them inside their own body. And the females then use those toxins to protect themselves against predators. Once they've eaten a couple of other fireflies, birds will no longer eat them. And they also put some of these toxins into their eggs. So the futurist females are now able to lay eggs that are protected against egg predators. So it's a really, really cool story of uh, evolutionary loss of uh, toxin and a whole new way of protecting themselves. Cool story, right? Yeah. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. What do you think of when you hear, like, the word firefly? What does it conjure up for you? What I think about when I think of fireflies is yellow and how yellow dots light up my backyard from summer to fall and how fun it is to catch them. Nice. The fireflies that we see flying around in our backyards or, um, you know, in a neighborhood park during the summertime are really kind of just the tip of the firefly iceberg because there's a whole backstory that we don't usually see. And so when we see the firefly adult, we don't really usually think about, well, you know, where do they come from? And if you stop to think about it, you'd realize that, oh yeah, well, like the rest of us, they come from an egg. And that egg hatches out into a juvenile form called a larva. And it's actually the larval form of fireflies, that's where they spend the majority of their time. So the firefly adults that we see flying around in the summertime live like an individual firefly will live for maybe maybe two weeks, um, like a month max. But before that, it has spent two years living as a larva. And firefly larvae, we don't usually see them because most of them live underground. Oh, kind of like cicadas. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, not 17 years. So it's a lot shorter than cicadas. But yeah, you're right. So during that time, they have a really, really different lifestyle. So, you know, I mentioned that most firefly adults don't eat anything at all. So where do they get their energy? They get their energy from the larval stage when they are hanging around underground and they are predators underground. So they are kind of like the Faturus adults. They're actually pretty voracious predators. So they spend a lot of time underground at night, um, sometimes under leaves during the, uh, the night and the evening. You can see them. And they're hunting for things like snails and slugs and earthworms 
and other kinds of soft-bodied things that they can sink their sharp jaws into. And so when we think about fireflies, you know, it's fine to think about the like cool, flashy adults that are flying around, but we also need to think about the juvenile stage, which is very long-lasting, again, like up to two years in parts of the United States. And that's where they're really getting all their energy to then go on and do all their reproduction, flashing, flying around, nuptial gifts, all that stuff. So when they're larvae, do they glow or is that just for the adults? Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, I love that question. Thank you for asking it. Because it turns out that every single firefly species has larvae that can glow. Not all firefly adults glow. So we actually um, know now by reconstructing their evolutionary history that bioluminescence, which is one of the cool things about fireflies, first evolved in the larval form. So juvenile fireflies first evolved the ability to light up, and we're pretty sure that they did it as a warning signal. So a way of protecting themselves against potential predators. They have these toxins and to advertise those toxins, if you're living underground or if you're, you know, in dark places, it doesn't really help to be brightly colored, right? And so the light is like a beacon that shines out. I'm toxic. Stay away. So firefly light first evolved as a warning. Kind of like the um, yellow and black stripes for bees, wasps, and some flies and moths, although the flies and moths don't sting. Exactly, exactly. So all of the things that you've just mentioned have either some kind of defense, like a stinger, or they're poisonous, and it's a warning that's good for them, and it's also good for the predators, because no predator wants to keep trying to eat something that is going to make them sick, right? Or kill them um, or eat part of something that's going to make them throw up. And so those kind of warning signals like the bioluminescence of baby fireflies and like the bright colors of monarch butterflies are sort of a, a way that evolution has solved the problem of educating the predator, right? So if you have a really bright color or bright light, it's easier for the predator then to remember, oh yeah, I remember eating that thing and it made me really sick and I'm not going to try, you know, even taking a tiny bite of it again. So it's a way of um, being quite memorable, that bright light that larval fireflies have. It's a, a way of protecting themselves and making the predators remember how bad they taste. Oh, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sarah Lewis. Thanks, Nate. Nice talking with you. And remember, if you want to learn more about the amazing world of fireflies, make sure to read Silent Sparks, The Wondrous World of Fireflies. There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Music on today's episode comes from Epidemic Sound, and our theme song was written by Jeff Dan and Teresa Brooks. And if you like the show, please leave a review. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off.